Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. We're coming to you live and have been for the last 20 minutes <laughs> from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Uh, welcome to all of you watching. Uh, all those uh, who normally come to church here in Green Bay, Stevens Point and Appleton, glad to have you with us. And all those who watch on our online church all over the world, we are so glad that you are joining with us. Uh, we're going to recite now together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are while we believe at Celebration Church, and today we are having some of our Celebration kids uh, leading us in the creed. Let's take a listen and join in with them. Hey kids, we're going to be reciting the Apostles' Creed together. This is our statement of faith and what we believe as followers of Jesus. Ready? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, our Lord, for us and our for us and our salvation. As conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He defended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. <laughs> that was awesome. Fabulous. Warms my heart to see that as the kids did that this morning. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there on this beautiful spring Morning <laughs> here in Wisconsin. It looks like it's going to snow any second. Oh, Lord, this too shall pass eventually. Uh, we are here with our large crowd. Becky, of course, is here. My cheering laugher out there. And my wife is here today with bow tie duty. <laughs> making, making sure the bow tie is good. And this one's a flimsy one today. So... I won't be able to move, and it'll probably get messed up anyway. So, but it's pretty. It's flowery for the moms. I even got flowery shoes on today. Woo! Anyway, uh, before we get into the message this morning, we want to take our morning offering. This is when uh, those of you who are on our website, celebrationchurch.tv, you'll see buttons there that you can click in order to give. And the rest of you uh, can go and give via text. What you do is you get your phone and you're going to send a text to this number, 77977. All right, that's the number you're sending it to. And in the message there, you're going to type CCWI and then the amount you want to give, CCWI for Celebration Church, Wisconsin. So 77977, that's who you're going to send the text to. And then in the message, put CCWI and then the dollar amount that you would like to give. Uh, the first time you do it, it will have you fill in some information so we know who you are. After that, you don't have to do that anymore. You just CCWI and whatever amount you want to give will come through right away. I want to thank all of you for giving uh, faithfully during this challenging time. Uh, my heart goes out to so many churches that are struggling financially, uh, some that have, are in serious financial trouble now. Their finances have dropped off precipitously. Uh, I'm not sure... Uh, what has happened here, but that has not happened. And it's stunning 
I've actually been bragging on the giving of Celebration Church, something I don't usually do. <laughs> but I have been doing here. It's been amazing. The amount, our offerings have actually ticked up. And for this, we are so grateful to you. And God bless all of you. You know what it shows is that at the end of the day, you love this place, you believe in this ministry, and you want us to stay strong through this time. And thank you for doing that. Uh, those of you who go on and do recurring giving, that's our greatest blessing that you can do when you sign up at celebrationchurch.tv. That's where you can see it. And uh, sign up for recurring giving that just you just put in that automatically every week we give X amount of dollars. And for those of you who watch all around the world, if you normally watch us, you really should give something. The Bible's very clear that you should give financially to those who bless you spiritually. So don't just enjoy. If you say, boy, I really love your sermons and you never give, <laughs> don't do that. All right. If you watch this and you get blessed, I don't care who you are. Uh, give something. Oh, I don't have much money. Give something. You know, the Bible celebrates the little uh, lady who gave just two pennies in the offering. Um, Jesus celebrated. She said, actually, she gave more than everybody else. Certainly not comparatively, but because of just out of her need, she still honored God. So honor God. You want God, to, you know, everybody wants God to bless them financially. They just don't want to give. In fact, I've heard so many people pray, Lord, just bless me, help me win the lottery, and I'll give to the church. But it doesn't work that way. It's not God bless me so I can bless you. It's that we bless him and then we trust that he now comes and blesses us. So if you're among those few souls out there like myself who really depend on God's financial blessings, be careful to give. If you don't need God to bless you financially, do whatever you like. That's totally up to you. All right. This morning, Mother's Day, Proverbs 22, verse 6 is our single verse that we'll be looking at this morning. A little different. Usually I pummel you with many verses. But I thought on Mother's Day, we would talk about the blessing of children and how to deal with children, because without children, there's no Mother's Day. <laughs> so let's read this verse in Proverbs 22. Uh, it says this, verse 6. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. In other words, what is pressed on us at the earliest of ages tends to carry us through life. Though there might be uh, some diversions along the way, as many of us know, occurs at the end. What is planted in us tends to carry us through life. That's why the Bible says, be very careful to plant in your children the right things. Uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book entitled uh, Treat Him Like a Dog. <clears throat> it sounds like a book of insults, but uh, it's for women in how to succeed with men. They're not insults. They're actually keys in how to deal with men. Uh, that book has done very, very well. In fact, it sold out a couple of times, and now we're sold out the last time. We're still waiting for him to come in. They're supposed to be here pretty soon. Praise the Lord. Uh, then the uh, second book for it was Treat Her Like a Truck, where we talk to men about how they can take the skills that they have and use it to bless the women in their lives. And then this is the latest version. This is called Treat Him, no, Treat Them, like monkeys. So this is about having to deal with children. And uh, this is, yeah, that's all right. You have to show that yet. It'll come up in a second. Let <laughs> me start the chapter. Anyway, this is the book. Uh, Treat them like monkeys. It's about how to deal with children. First book I've ever done 
having to do with children. And all this is doing is giving advice on how these people can succeed with children. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to read to you from segments of the book. My lovely wife, Debbie, who's with the Lord this morning, would always tell me, people hate it when you read. (laughs) (laughs) No, they don't. Be quiet up there. So (laughs) so, I said, well, sometimes you just got to read stuff. So I will try to do it in a way that hopefully is not hateful to anyone. This morning, I know what she's trying to say is, don't just get up there and look like a robot. Do it more spontaneously, which is what I do 99.9% of the time. But this morning, <clears throat> I want to read uh, to you from segments of this book. And there are, uh, there's nine chapters, actually 10 chapters in here, about different ways to deal with children. So we're going to start with chapter one, which is what the book is titled after, Treat Them Like Monkeys. And now you can pop up the monkey graphic. <laughs> there it is. It's on the, the whole book is a colorful book, well illustrated. So here we go. Treat Them Like Monkeys. Now, people most commonly use the expression of trained monkey in an insulting fashion and in the context of an absurdly simple task. A trained monkey could do that. But very little thought is actually given to the fact that monkeys, little pint-sized primates, primates, can successfully be taught to do most anything. Uh, You can teach them the most rudimentary parts of playing a piano, even. Uh, They can serve the handicapped. They can pick your pocket. And we were in a, I was going to say a monkey cage. It wasn't really a monkey cage. What do you call it? They didn't put us in a monkey cage. It was, but but it, was, it was a gigantic monkey arboretum in, in Africa. And uh, <laughs> give you the wrong picture here. And, uh, but they warned us <clears throat> because uh, to take all of our belongings that we valued and put them in a locker before we went in. Just because those little rats will pick your pockets. <laughs> And they'll steal stuff because a lot of these monkeys had been trained to do so. And then it became so problematic. They were trying to get rid of the monkeys. And then this arboretum took them in and stuff like that. So uh, they were always, everywhere I was going, I was eyeing around these monkeys, (laughs) checking me out, making sure I didn't have anything on me. Because they will take your car keys, whatever you got, and you will never, ever see them again. Um, Truth be told, training monkeys really can't be that simple of a task. But it's done all the time with Overwhelmingly impressive results. I suppose you were a very gifted little monkey, and you were tasked with, and we were tasked with the task of teaching him how to boil eggs. For this example, we'll call our little monkey George. Now remember that curious George does not speak English, and up to this point has never even seen an egg or a pot or a stove in his life. Now I'm no primate egg boiling expert. But I'll go out on a limb and suggest that the very first thing you have to do is show him yourself how to boil the eggs. Remember, your words are meaningless. And because of all that curiosity, his attention span is incredibly short. Eggs, you might say, as you hold them up to begin to familiarize him with the word. Pot, you'll point to the cooking vessel. Yum, you might say, as you peel away the shell and take your first bite. Now, at this point, would you pat yourself on the back and congratulate yourself for successful teaching George how to boil eggs? Of course you wouldn't. You know that there are going to be lots of broken eggs, plenty of overcooked ones, and possibly even some flinging of raw yolks. You're smart enough to understand that teaching is a process, a series of steps, a lesson in repetition. Sometimes we forget that with our kids. We yell at them, how many times do I have to tell you to do this? Well, apparently more times than you have 
already. Children are not pint-sized adults. They are only partially formed beings. And as such, their job is to learn all day, every day. It's just that one job, to learn. And how do any of us master any new task? Simple, by making mistakes. In discovering the light bulb, Thomas Edison is reported to have said, I've not failed hundreds of times. I haven't failed once. I have succeeded in proving that those hundreds of ways will not work. When you go into every interaction with your offspring, believing in your heart of hearts, that it is his or her job to learn by making mistakes, your entire relationship with them will transform. He drew on the sofa with a Sharpie. Yep, he's just doing his job. She talked back to you. Relax, she's just doing her job. He lost his library book again, doing his job. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that there shouldn't be age-appropriate consequences for our children. In fact, there absolutely must be. What I am saying is that training children, just like training monkeys, involves bottomless patience and tolerance for mistakes. The more the both you, that you can muster, the happier you will be. And it's always amazing. You know, they can train animals to do almost anything. I love going to like SeaWorld and stuff like that and watching all these at a certain booth. And I think we can't get people to behave. <laughs> yes, we can. And we can get children if we'll approach it the same way, repet repetitively, patiently showing them what needs to be done. So that's, there's more in that chapter, but I'm just giving bits and pieces this morning. Next chapter is entitled, Treat Them Like Ducks. Let's see our duck chapter. Da -da 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 -da. There's our ducks in the pool. Now, there's a business book called Leadership Gold, Lessons I've Learned from a Lifetime of Leading by John Maxwell, great author. In the chapter, Don't Send Your Ducks to Eagle School, Maxwell points out that what should be pretty obvious, but oftentimes isn't, both in nature and in life, and that is this. Ducks are not meant to be eagles. They don't want to be eagles. Ducks are very, very good at swimming and quacking and working together and bobbing around in ponds and generally being ducks. They may, may be hardy, and waterproof and produce the cutest little babies you've ever seen in your life, but they make lousy eagles. Likewise, eagles aren't meant to be ducks. They don't want to be ducks. Eagles are very, very good at soaring and looking noble and swooping down on their prey from the sky and generally being eagles. They may be lovely and majestic creatures of God and a symbol of patriotism and strength, but they make lousy ducks. And it's not that a duck is better than an eagle or vice versa. They're simply different, sort of like your children and, say, every other child on the planet. Of course, it's natural to wonder how your child measures up to his or her siblings or peers. In fact, when they're quite young, it is only by comparing them that you know when your child is or isn't meeting important developmental milestones along the way. What's not natural or healthy or helpful is making them feel like lesser people because of how they stack up, especially as they get older and in ways not related to, say, rolling over or feeding themselves with a spoon. Cases in point, when somebody yells, I've never, I've never had to tell your brother to clean his room. He just does it. Well, good for the brother. Your sister's always aced her math test. You must not study as hard as she did. Or why can't you be more like the kids down the street? The reasons not to engage in this sort of side-by-side -side comparing are many and profound. First, we know for a fact that insults carry far more weight than compliments. Even if you're praising your child's other efforts day and night, it's hardwired human nature 
to remember negative comments and events more frequently and in greater detail than the positive ones. Uh, I was talking to Deanna about this the other day. You know, she's new to my public world. And in her old Facebook days, how many, how many people were following your? Yeah, 900 or so, so you said? Now it's, what, 10,000? <laughs> so it's changed quite dramatically. My world is almost 300,000. Well, actually, Adam Olive is over 300,000. That's a lot of people. And here's the thing. People can send compliment after compliment after compliment after compliment. Hundreds of compliments. And if she gets one criticism, guess which one she remembers? <laughs> it's the one criticism. I said, you got hundreds of positive comments. I know, I know it's the one. I said, boy, you're, yeah, she's learning. <laughs> you got to suck it up. But it's human nature, right? You can get all these positive inputs and then you get one negative one and that one has way more impact than all of those positive. In fact, oftentimes we don't even notice or even hear or take in all the positive comments. Hence, being careful with the words that we use. This is what, it, uh, this is what, what this means, if I can learn how to read here, is that it's the stuff that stings your child that he will take with him into adulthood, which could lead to many years of expensive therapy for the poor kid trying to figure out why his parents thought he never could ever do anything as well as his siblings or other kids, even if that's not actually the case. You see, negative program from, programming from one's childhood often is all that is required to guarantee a future life of unhappiness, failure, or both. Now, I write in this book that I was fortunate to grow up in a home with a mother who drilled into her children a positive and reassuring message. Even though we were different, with unique talents, gifts, and abilities, she told all of us, always, you can do anything because you're a gunger. Now, she repeated this positive, although not very accurate, message to us over and over in countless situations and under varying circumstances. You can do anything because you're a gunger. Can you do it? Yes. Why? I'm a gunger. Okay. Honestly, I think I was at least 35 years old before it dawned on me that being a gunger really didn't mean anything. But by that point, it was too late. I'd already done all sorts of things simply because it had been drilled into me that I could. Like most everyone, I've hit some hard times, some rocky lows, but each time I just wanted to surrender and give up, I have had my mother's voice yelling in my head, you can do anything, you're a gunger. And believe it or not, you know, it's, it's amazing how many people, when they struggle in life, what they hear are the negative voices. You're a failure. You can't do it. You can't go any further than this. Uh, again, we were talking the other day, you know, I graduated from a town from kids who got grades way higher than mine. But they never really went and did much of anything and went and worked. I mean, God bless them, they had jobs and stuff like that, but boy, they just, not great potential was ever reached or did anything dramatic uh, because all they did was lock in at a level that there was, this is normal to them. This is their normal. You make X amount of dollars a year for so many years and then you retire, that's your normal. And even though they might've been capable of much greater things, uh, they couldn't get past whatever ceiling was in their head. Um, I, and then there's the rest of us who, by God's grace, haven't ever seen a ceiling. We just keep looking higher and higher and keep believing we can do bigger and better things, even though we have failed miserably in the past. Uh, 
I was lucky to graduate at all. Truth is, they never should have graduated me. There's no way I met the requirements needed to graduate. I just think they were glad to get rid of me and sent me out the door. Yet, have, for the most part, succeeded very greatly in my life. Uh, even with the uh, thing that I do today, in writing these books and stuff for relationships, uh, being quoted in, recently in the Washington Times and uh, Newsweek magazine and all this, you know, I just shake my head and giggle. I think, you know, when it comes to this relationship area, I have no studies. I have no degrees. I have nothing. What I have is a voice in my head, you can do anything because <laughs> you're a gunger. And just started doing it, and people kept responding. And just, and, and uh, my son Philip and I laugh all the time. We hear of universities now that if you're going to study relationships, psychology, and stuff like that, guess whose material you have to watch? Mine. And these were people who mocked me in the beginning, said, you can't do that. You're not educated in that area. Well, we did it anyway. Now they're learning from me. So why is that possible? Because if you just keep thinking, I can do this. If you see the skills, God's blessed you. God's... Now, you don't want to get caught up in the uh, American Idol syndrome where people who can't sing think they can. <laughs> or they go out and they get mad when the judges would vote them off the stage. I'm going to go after my dream. My friends think I'm great. And I always say, man, you need some new friends because, dude, you're horrible. Uh, so there's the, you know, just because you think you can, I mean, there has to be some <laughs> reality to it. Are people responding? Do you see benefit from it? Yeah. Well, they keep going. And you don't have to stop. You don't have to think there's a limit on what you can accomplish in life. It's very powerful. Anyway. Uh, consider that programming versus the exact opposite so many experience when they were growing up. No matter what they did as children, even if it was positive and noteworthy, they constantly heard the voice of a parent, grandparent, or even a teacher who scolded them with phrases like, you are such a failure. You're such a disappointment. Why can't you be better? Consequently, as adults, no matter what their talent, education, or experiences may be, the rest of their lives are filled with one failure after another or I would add, uh, which I can, because it's my book to add too, is uh, limitations. They hit their certain, they just think they can't see going past a certain level. That voice is constantly tearing them down, filling them with doubts for success, and stealing from them any positive hope for their future. For those raised in criticism, any failure they experience later in life is just a confirmation of their negative programming. They accept that failure as normal, convincing themselves that they should never have tried in the first place. On the other hand, those raised with positive programming from the get-go actually view failure as an aberration. They literally doubt their failures. That can't possibly be right. And then try again. One of the greatest things about the Christian faith is that despite any negative programming we have been raised with, all that can change as we experience God's love. Jesus taught us what? Anything is possible with God. Talk about taking the lid off of possibilities. Anything is possible. By putting the promises of God into our hearts and minds, we can replace negative programming of the past with positive messages for the future. This is how we begin to doubt our failures and strive for success. The goal with our children, of course, is to fill them with the proper programming in the first place so they never have to go through the painful undoing process. But if you've been through that process, man, let me encourage you. Get your head in the scriptures. It'll change your life. It'll turn you around. You start filling God's thoughts in your head. That's why Christians tend to, very devout Christians tend to succeed way beyond their education and their opportunities. Just because of the promises of God in their head, they know all things are possible to him who believes. So that's treat them like ducks. Here's the next chapter. Treat them like a plumbing leak. Let's look at our plumbing leak picture here. 
from our book. There it is. Now picture the following scenario. You're the last one out of the house and you're running late for work. Anybody been there before? You have a big, important meeting. Missing this meeting is not an option, just to be clear. As you race past the bathroom, you notice that somebody has left the water running. Again, it's just a drip of drips add up. And how many times do you have to tell these people to turn the water off completely? You mutter under your breath as you crank the handle, probably a little harder than you should. And then you watch in slow motion horror as the handle comes off right into your hand. Now water is shooting out of the faucet, straight into the sky at full force, soaking you, the ceiling, the mirror, and basically everything within a four-mile radius. It is a disaster. Now let me ask you a very serious question. Of all the many thousands of thoughts floating through your brain at this moment, is any of them this? Wow, that's a lot of water. But I've got a meeting to go to, and I'll worry about it later. Unless you're a crazy person, of course, it isn't. Always got to include the crazy people. This leak needs your full attention right now this minute. Two minutes ago would have been better. Even though you just said very plainly you could not miss the, this meeting, now you're going to miss the meeting because this leak cannot wait. Oh, it could wait, but the results would be catastrophic. Now, let me ask you this. When was the last time you stopped what you were doing and looked at that leak that sometimes is pouring out of our children's needs? Well, I put my kids first all the time. You're shouting in your head. They're the reason I work so hard. They're my life, my everything. Well, I'm sure they are, but we are, myself included, occasionally guilty of what I call postponement parenting. Mom, want to hear the song we just learned? Dad, want to play chess? Mom and Dad, you want to go for ice cream? I know, I know, these requests come in all day long, most often when we're in the middle of being extremely productive. Maybe after dinner, we say vaguely, or oh, we'll play this weekend when I have more time. But what if we didn't postpone? What if we stopped what we were doing? Not every time, maybe not even most of the time, but every once in a while, and tended to their metaphorical leak. What if we left the dirty dishes in the sink for an hour, or skipped our favorite TV show, and read a book or play Scrabble or have a water balloon fight instead. We read in the Gospel of Matthew a time when Jesus was pushing his way through a crowd of people. At this point in his short three-year ministry, Jesus was like a rock star. It said, it said that multitudes of people were gathered around him, listening to his words, watching what he did, reaching out to him with their many personal requests. In the back of a crowd, the Bible says there was a woman who had been sick for a very long time. She spent all of her money with physicians who only wound up making things worse. Worse, she was desperate, she was hurting, she was without any solution to her problems. She had heard about this Jesus who can make people better. She thought to herself, well, if I can just touch his robe as, I go, as he goes by, surely I'll be healed. Now, we don't know how she came to such a conclusion. While Jesus had healed lots of people, there is no record that anyone ever was healed incidentally or in secret. Yet she was convinced that all she needed to do was just touch him as he walked by, and she would be healed. The crowd was pushing against him as he walked to his intended destination. Jesus was focused. He was busy. No doubt his disciples were acting as bodyguards, making a path through the crowds, and pushing back anyone they deemed as a threat. As Jesus drew near and was about to pass the woman, she reached out her hand, touched the hem of his garment as he walked by. The Bible records that she was immediately healed. Well, Jesus suddenly stopped and asked what seemed to be to this large crowd of people a very strange question. He said, who touched me? His disciples looked at each other with a degree of confusion and disbelief. They answered, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. 
But Jesus knew something special had happened. He turned and saw the woman who had been sick. She looked up at him, torn between a sense of fear for drawing attention to herself, while at the same time filled with joy knowing that her physical suffering was gone. No doubt Jesus must have smiled as he looked at the woman and said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. The point of the story is that Jesus, despite being very busy and overwhelmed by thousands of people's requests and demands, stopped when he sensed an urgent need, an emergency. He stopped to fix the unexpected leak. You see, even God stops for emergencies. And we have this next chapter that says, treat them like an audience. Where's my audience picture? Da, 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 da. Quick, dumb question. When you go to the theater, what do you do? Do you watch the stage? Yes, you do, intently. Do you ever just for the fun of it, squeeze your eyes shut and just try to listen to the play? I'm going to guess that you don't. And why is that? Because one character, character might be whispering, <coughs> I love you, as he slits another's throat. A burglar could be silently ransacking the apartment. A child could be promising her parents that she didn't break the lamp. Only the audience can see the fact that she's got her little fingers crossed behind her back. You see, you have to watch the play to really take it all in. After all, everybody knows that actions speak louder than words. Whether you realize it or not, and whether your kids are two months or two decades old, your offspring are like your audience 24-7. They're watching you intently, I might add. And as the saying goes, they're far too busy watching <clears throat> every move you make rather than listening to every word you say. <coughs> as I... <coughs> Corona! Cover your mouth. Anyway, <clears throat> nobody's in here. They're far enough away. And I don't have it anyway. Yes, a frog. I I got a frog when I was up north yesterday. Uh, they are watching. They're far too busy watching you than hearing what you say. Of course, if your actions are backed up by your words, then you're good to go. But if you're standing on your soapbox telling your son <clears throat> to be honest while you're being dishonest, which message do you think they're going to get? <clears throat> Children are desperate for role models. The way you treat your waitress or the person who accidentally spills your coffee in Starbucks the person who cuts in front of you while you're driving and you lose your temper, <clears throat> or your spouse. This is exactly how they're going to treat people someday. If you have a child over the age of five or so, you already know this to be true, because by then you'll have heard them playing with their friends or baby dolls and bark tiny commands that very well could have come out of your own mouth. <laughs> Deanna was telling me the other day about Addison, bossy, come inside right now. She was standing at the door and Deanna was outside. And Deanna said, no, come out here. She says, no, there's bugs outside. You come in here right now. <laughs> Can't imagine where she heard that before. <clears throat> my grandson Elliot and my granddaughter Maya were at over, at over at our house. Of course, Maya lives in a perpetual state of let's play and have fun. She's constantly suggesting ideas on how the other people might have privilege of playing with her. Elliot, of course, usually is doing his best to ignore her. This time, finally, she said to Elliot in a very controlling way, well, then, let's play house. You can be the dad. Elliot looked at her and conceded, okay. So he promptly walked over to the table, pulled out a chair, sat in it, put up his feet, crossed his arms, and as the dad in their make-believe world declared, I'm not doing anything because I've been working all day. <laughs> Wonder where you heard that from, Phil? <clears throat> The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, as they say, and boy, are they right. 
about that every once in a while, or maybe slightly more than that. I come across a kid so rude and disrespectful that it stuns me. Do you know what my very first thought is when I see this? Man, that kid's parents must be such jerks. It reminds me of the little boy in the country singer Rodney Atkins song who uses a four-letter word after he spills his orange drink and fries. When his dad asks, where did you learn to talk like that? Proud little tyke says, well, I've been watching you, Dad. <laughs> Don't kid yourself. Those little eyes and ears are peeled to our every move. Maybe in your own childhood, your folks use the adage, do as I say, not as I do. But if we want our kids to grow to be honest, respectful, grateful, faithful people, we need to model those attributes as often, as completely, as humanly possible. Less lectures, more examples. That's why you should be going to church and why you're watching at home right now. It's a good example for your kids. You could be doing anything. I can't see you. <laughs> but you're actually taking time to listen to the ministry of God's word. Uh, it's really the watching part is the only part they pay attention to anyway. Well, <clears throat> there's other chapters. There's treat them like Mother Nature. Let's take a look at some of these beautiful illustrations in this beautiful full-color book. Uh, treat them like a hobby. Next picture, there we go. Treat them like a marathon. Treat them like sea glass. If you don't know what sea glass is, get the book. Uh, treat them like boomerangs. And then the final chapter is a bonus chapter. It says, do not treat them like royalty. And let's end with this one. Somewhere along the line, some lily-livered parents decided that we were crushing our little children's spirits every time we scolded them, and they decided we shouldn't scold anymore. We were limiting their potential with all our sweeping structure and niggling little rules. And frankly, the thinking went, parenting would be a lot less stressful if we just gave our kids whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it. It's conflict-free. Whoopee! The problem is, as a parent, it's your job to set rules for your child. Do not treat them like royalty. And you need to enforce those rules. Should you do this with love and compassion and respect? Of course. But you need to do it. If your little peanut doesn't learn to follow rules from you, what on earth is going to happen when they get to school or eventually to their job? Overly permissive parents usually defend themselves with the weakest arguments on the planet. Well, my child loves my parenting style. Oh, I, I bet he does, because you never say no to him. He gets to call all the shots. And what kid, or adult for that matter, wouldn't love that? What kid wouldn't want to be the king of his castle? But as, a, as Buddy the Elf said to the stand in Santa, he's sitting on a throne of lies. In the 1960s and 70s, a psychologist and professor, this is great, this is an amazing thing, this professor by the name of Walter Mischel at Stanford, Stanford University, conducted a series of experiments on the delay of gratification in pre preschool children. This is how his test went. He says to kids, I'll give you a marshmallow, and you can eat it right now, or if you wait 15 minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. Predictably, 70% of all the children ate the first marshmallow, well in advance of the 15-minute waiting period. A decade later, he went and did a follow-up study using the same students he had tested originally. He discovered that the subject's performance as four-year-olds four had powerful implication years later. The four-year-olds who could delay gratification longer went on to achieve significantly higher SAT scores than the study participants who hadn't been able to delay their gratification. The discipline group had also developed better social, cognitive, and emotional coping skills. Confident that the impacts of early self-restraint didn't stop there, 
He went back and revisited the same group after they reached their 40s and 50s. As it turned out, the kids who had waited for two marshmallows those many years earlier continued to excel in life, in education. They had a greater sense of self-worth. They managed their stress better. They were less prone to use drugs and alcohol. Uh, conclusion of the study, teach your children self-control. Children of permissive parents who experience no consequences for their behavior are being set up for a host of problems as they get older. Uh, <clears throat> they tend to have very poor social skills, lower academic achievement, and a difficult time dealing with authority. Uh, actually, oftentimes, society has to step in and discipline those people by imprisoning them because no one had told them no earlier on or taught them how to control themselves. They're more likely to be overweight, obese, to experiment with drugs and alcohol. Uh, lack of structure leads to a lack of self-discipline, lack of self-control, which are crucial skills for navigating adolescence and early adulthood. The simple antidote, do your job. You're not here to be your child's friend. He can and likely does have dozens of friends, but he's only got two parents, too, if he's lucky. As much as he might bristle when you lay down the law, the truth is children crave order. They thrive under firm, clear expectations. Raising amazing kids is as much about what you don't do as what you do. Don't beg, plead with them to do the right things. Your expectation should be enough. Don't avoid conflict to preserve the mood. It's okay for kids to be upset once in a while. These are some of the greatest teachable moments you'll ever encounter. Don't ask him or her if they'd like to leave the party or would you like to help me in the garden? Would you like to take a nap? <laughs> you listen to these parents. They reason with these little demon-possessed monsters. I just can't believe it. <laughs> Don't do that. Remember, in this kingdom, you're the king, not him. The sooner you establish that fact, the happier everyone in the kingdom will be. Do not treat them like royalty. Anyway, once we get to gather back together... As a family, the books will be available at all of our campuses. And uh, it's a fun, like, and like there's a lot more stuff, and I skipped over a bunch of chapters. It's just a fun little encouraging. Any of you parents want to check that out? Uh, and those of you overseas, you'll be able to download the books online, and those will be released. And actually, they're on their way here right now. They're somewhere in the Atlantic. They should be showing up here in the next week or two. All right, that's that. A little bit of advice to all the moms, encouragement on how to deal with the little monkeys in your life. We're going to wrap up our service now as we do with our time of communion. This is when we turn our attentions to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid for us on the cross. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins and his body broken so that we could be whole. Now, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, before you take communion, you ought to pause and examine yourselves. So we're going to do that together examine ourselves. How are we doing? How have you been doing? How are you doing in this situation that we're all going through and locked away? How have you been dealing with the challenges in your life? Have you been full of fear, doubt, getting angry? Did you lose your temper this week? Speaking about being good parents, maybe you're looking and go, oh, I've been a lousy parent this week. You know what the answer is? Forgiveness. That's why we pray for forgiveness. This is why we pause, reflect over our last week, and say, Lord, forgive me for where I have failed. So as we get ready to uh, take communion together, let's do as the 
Bible teaches us. Let's pause. Let's examine our own hearts and see where we went wrong. And let's pray together as I pray this prayer of forgiveness for all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done, by what we've left undone, maybe we haven't loved you with our whole heart as we should, maybe we haven't loved our neighbors as we're supposed to love ourselves. For the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us. And I pray now that you would forgive all of us of our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And maybe as we're wrapping up the service, you're just someone who's never actually taken that step and asked God to come into your life. Why don't you pause for a moment? Ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins, to give you a new start, to show you how all things are possible for you.